If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and become like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Father God, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say. I ask you, Lord, anything that's of me, that the people would not even be able to hear that. But your word, which is eternal, let it find a good place in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, can you imagine how surprised Mary Magdalene and Mary were when they went to the tomb and found that it was empty? The stone had been rolled away, and there sits an angel. The scripture says that he talked to them, and he showed them the empty tomb, and he reminded them of what Jesus had said. Jesus had told them that he was going to rise from the dead, but I'm sure when they got there at that moment, it probably was something like, is it really happening? Have you ever had those things in life, those times in life, where you're kind of like, is it really happening now? Maybe for some of you when you got married. Maybe some of you when you had a child or, or for our students who are going to be graduating soon. All these years, they knew that one day they'd be out of high school and it's finally coming upon them. And there's those times in life that we're just like, is it really happening now? And I'm sure for, for Mary and Mary Magdalene, that had to be one of those things because they had heard Jesus say to them that I'm going to die and rise again But when they came after all they had been through, they'd seen them be beaten and abused and crucified upon the cross. They'd seen them drive the nails through his hands. They'd seen all of those things taking place. They had seen him pull his dead body off the cross. And it had been, this is the third day. It was starting to sink into them. He is gone. And when they come to the tomb, there sits an angel and says, he's not here. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus. But he's not here. He's risen. This had to be something that was hard for them to believe. And so they leave there, and they start to go back and tell the disciples. And on the way, they run into who shows up along the road but Jesus. And they have the only response that is fitting whenever we encounter the risen Lord. They fell at his feet, and they worshiped him. Jesus told them that he was going to rise from the dead. And Jesus told them something else. I imagine whenever that Mary and Mary Magdalene were standing there, it was probably like, am I dreaming? Is this really real? Is this really taking place? Well, Jesus told them something else. He said in John 14, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be crucified, and he was. He told his disciples that he was going to rise from the dead on the third day, and he did. Jesus told his disciples that he was going away, and he was going to prepare a place for them, and he has. And Jesus said this, and he said, if I go away, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you guys to be with me forever, and I promise you that he will. As we look at this portion of scripture, we're going to take the last verse 9 and the things that Jesus said, and we're going to relate those things to the coming of the Lord. It says, when Jesus met them, Jesus, the first thing in verse 9 Jesus said was, he said to them, don't be afraid. When we talk about the coming of the Lord, it often elicits fear in people's eyes. This fear... When you talk for years, when you talk about the coming of the Lord, it puts this incredible fear in people's hearts in their lives. I mean, it's like, like you really get scared. I don't know, maybe some of the preachers were trying to scare the devil out of me. It would work for a little bit. This fear would, would motivate me for a little bit, but it didn't last very long. Because it's one of those things, it's like the law of diminishing returns. Once you hear something once, and you wait around and you get away with it, Well, then he tell you it the second time, and you wait around, and and you get scared. You think about it. Jesus is coming back, and and I don't know if you've, maybe you heard some of the the books coming back in 87, 87 reasons for Jesus to come back, and 88 and 88, and 89 and 89. I think after a while, people decided to quit buying the guy's books because obviously he wasn't necessarily on target. But this fear fills our hearts. That's not the case for you and I in the church. You say, well, wait a minute, pastor. But here's the thing. You see, from you and me, we've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. When we talk about the coming of the Lord, we've been purchased with the blood of Jesus. His blood is more than enough to cover all of my sins and all of my unrighteousness. I've been purchased with his blood. My sins have been forgiven. You and I, we have put our hands to the plow. We've not looked back. For the past 25 years, I've set my heart to follow God. For the past 25 years, I'm looking across this room. I know there's people here who have been following God for 30 years and 40 and 50 years that you've been seeking after God and following him. So whenever he comes back, it should not elicit fear in our hearts. Because the scripture tells us that he's coming back with his reward. Did you hear that? The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 62 verse 11. He says, say to the daughter of Zion, see your savior comes, see his reward is with him. For over 25 years I've been laying up treasures in heaven. The Bible says that moth and rust will not be able to corrupt it or destroy it. That thieves will not be able to break in and steal. So you and I, as we've been laboring for the Lord, as we've committed our lives to following him, we have been laying up treasures. When he comes back, he's coming back with a reward for us. He's coming back with a reward for you and I. So we don't have to fear. This is going to be a glorious time for the church. This is going to be an exciting time for the church. That's why the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, He says to him, now, brothers, about times and dates, 
we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on those suddenly as labor on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, it's different. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not to belong to the night or to the darkness. Paul does not need to write to the church, to the believers at Thessalonica about dates because the scripture says that they're children of the light and that they're going to be walking in the light. Whenever the, the guys who do talk about prophecy will speak, and, and please, don't, I'm not making light of any of that, but you talk about prophecy and relate it to the current day events and some of that's really good and there's other things where they have like, what happens is whenever the church has, has preached these kind of things and they point out people's names and they say, we're not saying for sure. I remember being a kid in church during revival. The, pastor, the evangelist said, no man knows the day or the hour. We're not saying for sure. But Jesus just might come. If everything says from what I can see, he may come in 76. I was so scared. It scared me. Jesus could come in 76, and it's 76, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? But what happens is it, it doesn't work after a while. The fear of those things, the anxiety that it stirs up in our hearts. Paul said to the church of Thessalonica, no man knows the day nor the hour, but I don't have to write to you about the dates, because you're children of light. Because see, children of light are walking in the light. They're living lives so that whenever Jesus comes, we can say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. That if Jesus comes today, we're good to go. If he doesn't come today and he comes tomorrow, we're fine with that. If he stays around for another 50 years before he comes or another 100 years, I've lived my life in such a way so that no matter whenever he shows up, I'm ready. Have you ever had your house just be like a total mess? But have you ever had your house just be like a total wreck? And someone comes and knocks at the door. And you're just like, oh, man. Try to keep them outside. You don't want to let them in the door. You greet them out on the sidewalk. Or you sneak out back and act like you were out back doing something when they came. Well, hello. Friends, what's nice is it's nice to live in such a way so that any time someone comes to your home, they can come in. And you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to be ashamed. In the same way in the spiritual things. As children of light, we live in such a way so that whenever Jesus comes, that's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians that. He says, I don't got to write to you guys about days or hours because we know that, the, that no man knows a day, that whenever he comes, we're children of light and we're going to be living in the light and walking in the light. For the other people, there's going to be a lot of people, Paul says, who are going to be telling themselves all oh, peace and safety. They're going to be trying to give themselves these pep talks but they're not going to escape the coming destruction that is due them. The second thing that Jesus said there, he said, don't be afraid. So you and I don't have to fear about the coming of the Lord. He's coming with a reward for you and I. We should anticipate it. And we should live in such a way so that whenever he comes, we're just say, we're ready. The second thing is that Jesus said to them, he told them to go and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. It's vital that we tell people 
about the coming of the Lord. Just as Jesus wanted Mary and Martha to go and tell his disciples that he had risen from the dead, Jesus wants you and I to remind one another within the church that he is coming back for his people. Why? So that we do not grow cold or indifferent. Because in the reality of it is, in the day-to-day life, you and I face difficulties and challenges. And so that you don't give up when times get hard. So that you don't grow weary in the midst of it. He encourages us to remind one another that Jesus is coming. That Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back for his church. So that whenever we're frustrated and we say, I don't know if it's worth it, we encourage one another with Jesus is coming back. I want you to listen to what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians once again in in chapter 5, starting at verse 6. He says, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That God's plan for you is not his wrath. His plan for you, he's appointed us not to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. We are to encourage one another as we wait for and anticipate the coming of the Lord. What should our lifestyle be? In light of the fact that Jesus is coming, What should my lifestyle be? Well, Paul goes on and he writes about that as well. He says that we should be joyful always in verse 16. Pray continually. Let me ask you this. Would it be really terrible? Let's say Jesus delays his coming for another 10 years. Would it be a terrible thing if you lived your life joyfully? Would it be a negative thing? Would you miss out on anything if you, a a continual life of prayer? If you gave thanks in all circumstances, because the scripture says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, here's the reality. On a day-to-day basis, there's people who have fear in their hearts about the coming of the Lord. And the reason why they have fear in their hearts is because of their day-to-day lifestyle. And they say, Pastor, I've invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life, but I struggle on a day-to-day basis to live in a state of preparedness. I want to be ready. I want to be ready when he comes. Well, let me read to you that what it says. Paul said to him, may God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of sanctification. That's why some people are struggling because God's at work sanctifying them. Paul asked for this church. Paul's prayer for them is that they would be sanctified through and through. So whenever as a pastor, I talk to you about some of the garbage that you're messing around with, Whenever I speak to you about that, I'm doing exactly what the Apostle Paul did. We're talking about the work of sanctification. 
God wants to sanctify you to make you like Christ, to refine you, to burn out the dross and the garbage. Why? Because it holds you back from God's best for your life. It hinders you in your walk. It hinders your witness. It causes you to have great fear. It fills people's hearts with fear. Why? Because they're not allowing God to do that sanctifying work. And so there's that battle inside. And friend, here's the reality. There's always going to be that battle between the spirit and the flesh until the day that you die or Jesus comes. Until the day you die, there is going to be a battle inside of you. There's the spirit man that wants to please God and wants to do right. And then there's that flesh that wants to have its own way. So Paul prayed for them. And he said, may God, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And he says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful. Who called you into this relationship? No man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. There's no way that you can't even come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit draws you. It is not your decision one day to become saved. It's God's Spirit who draws you. Without His Spirit's drawing, you can't respond. Do you understand that? God's the one who initiated it. One of my favorite verses is being confident of this. That He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I didn't actually start this work. God's the one who started this work within our hearts. He's the one who's called us. He's the one who started this work within us, this desire to follow him and to know him more and to obey his words. And yet there's this battle going inside of us. And we don't want to talk about that sometimes because the flesh seems really strong and powerful. And we wonder, well, what if Jesus comes and I'm living this way? He who called you is faithful. And Paul told the church at Thessalonians, he'll do it. He'll complete the work that he started. Now, there's another point that we need to warn when it says about going and telling. We also need to warn those who are lost about the coming of the Lord. I've heard it said before that the gospel is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. That's really what it is. And so when we share the gospel, a lot of times people think, oh, well, you you think you're holier than now, or you think you're better than someone else, or what will people understand? This is what I found. I found that there's a lot of people who are hungry and thirsty. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, for all of you who thirst, come to me, I'll give you living water to drink, that once you drink of it, you'll be satisfied. You'll never thirst again. So there's millions of people around us, people you work with every day, who do not know Jesus Christ. They don't know what the peace that comes from knowing their sins are forgiven, They don't know the joy that comes from walking in relationship with him. And they're searching for something. And they're going to look for it in all kinds of things and all kinds of places. And I'm going to tell you what, the more they look, the more dissatisfied they are. Because it doesn't satisfy. Only God can fill that place in a man or a woman's heart. Only God. See, there's there's a place within our hearts that can only be touched and be met by God. You go ahead. I'll tell you what, you spend the rest of your life. Spend the rest of your life searching for something to fill it. And whenever you get old, come back and talk to me and I'll be able to tell you where you can find that answer. Because the answer is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He satisfies the longings of our heart. What we find here is that there's people all around us 
And you and I have a responsibility to share with them this good news that Jesus is coming. Why? So that they have an opportunity to repent. So that they have an opportunity to be able to receive the reward that God has. Because he's going to come with a reward and all of us will be rewarded. Everyone's going to get a reward. The biblical principle is what you've sown, you reap. If you've sown to the sinful nature, from the sinful nature, you're going to reap death and destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. We have a responsibility to tell people about the coming of the Lord. Not in a way where we're trying to scare somebody. We just need to say, hey, man, just want to tell you, you ever notice if there's a good deal where you can get a good price on something or a value? People like a value. They like to go somewhere where, wow, I got a really good deal on your car there. Well, I'm going to go check out their prices. Or if you get a a good meal at a restaurant or if someone's having a sale somewhere, people come and they see, well, you and I have the best news of all. And it's important that you and I simply share. Whatever they do with that, that's up to them. That's not your responsibility. But you and I have that responsibility to go and tell people what Jesus has done for us. Finally, Jesus told the woman the disciples would see him. That's the third phrase. He says, you know, tell them to go to Galilee and they will see me there. We can be assured that one day every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever lived will see him. Either as Savior and King or as their judge. The scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Whether you want to bow or not, it doesn't matter. One day, every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In 2 Peter 3, and there's so many portions of Scripture that we could talk about the coming of the Lord on. In 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 3, Peter writes, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, all the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction on ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The portion of scripture that we just read refers back to the days of Noah. And the scripture tells us that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. People will be marrying and giving in marriage and people will be partying and doing all kinds of things. They're going to be busy. They're going to be, their lives are going to be consumed with things. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And Noah preached and people stood and they watched this clown out in the middle of nowhere, telling people that it's going to rain. It had never rained before that. The scripture tells us that water came up from the earth and watered the land. And he's telling them about rain. It took years for Noah to build the ark. As he built the ark, people made fun and mocked and laughed. But there was a day whenever God shut the door. 
Now, I can imagine them. They were probably laughing whenever God shut the door. They were probably like, oh, there's that Noah, and he's telling us all this stuff. He's got this big thing he's called an ark, this big thing. He's done his whole life. He spent over 100 years. He spent his whole life building this thing. It's just him and his family. Life seems pretty good for us. We're having a great time. Him and his family are out cutting wood and and putting tar on the side of this thing. And They said God's going to send animals, and sure. But there was a day that God shut the door, and it began to rain. The scripture says that in the last days, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. At some point along the way, I don't know when when it is. At some point along the way, there's a time that's coming whenever the door is going to shut. See, right now the doors are wide open. Right now the doors are wide open and God says, whosoever will may come, just come to me. The scripture tells us this, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that follow that way. But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there be that find it. The vast majority of people, although you may not believe this, the vast majority of people, according to scripture, are going to go man's ways. They're going to they're take the broad path. And sometimes whenever we talk about the coming of the Lord, people will say, see, I remember I'm only 42 years old. I remember when I was five and six and seven years old. That's 30-some years I heard people preaching. And in some ways, the church has gotten away from preaching about the coming of the Lord. We've left that. And there's probably some reasons, maybe some of the things of in the past, people trying to scare people into the kingdom of God. And if I can scare you in, someone else can scare you out. So I don't know if that's necessarily going to work. I mean, to be honest with you, if that worked, I would do it. I'm not above it, but I don't think it works. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says it's this. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. It's his mercy. It's his grace. There's coming a day. There's going to be a day. People now, they're saying, well, God doesn't, he's not, I've heard this for years. People, it says in the last eight, there's going to be scoffers and they're going to say, where's the coming of the Lord? We've heard this forever. But friend, don't mistake. It's kind of funny sometimes in dealing with people, when people mistake your kindness for weakness. There's times when you're just kind to people and they mistake that as a weakness. And then occasionally, on occasion, they find out that you're really not so weak that you've just been patient with them, you've been long-suffering with them. The principle is true of God. Don't mistake his kindness and his graciousness. Scripture says that he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. There is going to be, there will be, the last man who gets in the door, and the door will shut. At some point in time, there's going to be the last guy Don't mistake God's patience because it's his patience and his long-suffering that he's not wanting anyone to miss eternity with him. Now listen to what Paul wrote, because friends, you and I are going to see him someday. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let me say that again. I want to pray that over you. That's my prayer for our church, for Lighthouse. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart 
so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. You're going to see him one day. I promise you, you're going to see him one day. Every single one of you will see, I promise you, from the youngest to the oldest, you will see him one day. I promise you that. How are you going to see him? I'm looking forward to it. Here's the thing. If, if I live, I, I do the very best I can to live in a way that honors God. Certainly not saying without fault. I've set my heart to follow him. I've set my heart to live in such a way that be his reward. If he waits another 25 years, he's storing up the rewards. And I'm going to be happy to see him then. But my question for you is whenever he comes, and when you see him, are you going to be ready to meet him? Some of you are going to be doing backflips whenever Jesus comes. You've strained, you've struggled, and you've fought the good fight. You've turned away from the things of the flesh, and and you've yielded your life to God, and you've invested your time and your energy and your resources in the kingdom. You know, other people were out doing whatever they wanted to do, and you were doing your Bible study for a bunch of little kids, so you thought nobody cared about. But listen to me. I want you to know that God's going to reward you for that. Some of you have spent your time serving the Lord, witnessing, sharing with people, and they just turned you away and act like you were a crazy person. That's all right. There's a reward for you. Some of you moms and dads have prayed for years for your kids and for your grandkids. You've sought the Lord with all of your heart. Listen, when he comes, he's coming with a reward for you. He's coming with a reward for everybody based upon what your response to him is. We're just going to close with this. Are you ready to see him? Are you looking forward to it? Are you looking forward to when he comes? If there's fear in your heart, maybe you need to address your theology. There may be some of that. But maybe you need to change your lifestyle. Maybe we need to adjust our lifestyle. If you have to live in fear about when the Lord comes, as a believer, maybe you need to make an adjustment to your lifestyle. And for those of you who don't know Christ yet, maybe you need to allow him into your heart. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I just want to pray with you, and I want to just give you that opportunity. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the work of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your word that does not return void. I thank you for the promise of your coming. Lord, we look forward. We realize that your word says that you've gone away to prepare a place for us, that where you are there, we may be also. Just like you promised the disciples that you were going to be crucified and die and raised on the third day, you also promised them that you were going to come back again. So, Lord, we look forward to that day. And I just ask, Lord, that as your Holy Spirit would speak across this congregation, I pray that you'd speak to men and women's hearts and that you would either create such an enthusiasm and a thrill in our hearts about your coming where people want to stand up and shout, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Or you would create that response, Lord, of that calling to your people. Just real quick, if you're here today, I'm not going to belabor the point. If you're here today and, and you're not ready, for the, and you want to be ready whenever Jesus comes. Because you know the reality that it's true. You, people can make fun of it. They can laugh about it. But you know in your heart the reality that it's the truth. That the Lord is coming. And you just want to be ready for when. Is there anyone here? I just want to pray with you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for what you have done. That you have called us to yourself. I thank you, Lord, that your patience and your long-suffering is just overwhelming. We can't even imagine the graciousness of our God. 
I thank you, Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And today, we just say, Lord, thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for washing us with your blood. Thank you for giving us the hope that we are going to have eternal life with you. Lord, that we don't have to live in fear, but we can look forward to the coming of the Lord. Lord, just like you promised you were going to rise from the dead on Easter, Lord, we know that you're going to come back again. There's going to be some folks who are surprised, but we're looking forward to your coming, Lord, because you're coming with a reward for your people. Lord, be glorified, we pray, on this Easter Sunday and throughout our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.